Welcome to this week's episode of the Hackable You podcast. It's not coming home from the Euro finals. England lost to Italy. However, the nation heads out on home next week as lockdown is ending. Alex will be staying at home, however, due to an unfortunate bout of self-isolation. How are you guys planning on celebrating the end of lockdown this week? I'm going to be at home for the next seven days. (laughs) (laughs) Unlucky, pal, unlucky. Not, not impressed. Not impressed. Gonna... What's the story? Come on, what happened? Why are you self-isolating? Oh, just, just unfortunate. I guess too much of living life a little bit. <laughs> got pinged by the app. Have you got the Rona? Got pinged, uh, got pinged by the app. Got pinged by the app, unfortunately. But I'll do my bit and I'll stay at home for the next while. Um, it's going to be hot and it's going to be summery and it's going to be a really nice week, but I'm going to be at home. So, hey. Well, you know, you can open the window and have a beer by the window. You'll be all right. <laughs> beer by the window, what, like like right now <laughs> yeah yeah and will mate you know your new motorbike you must be getting out on the uh in the sunshine with that bold beast boom, boom. yeah yeah i'm out for uh for a ride tomorrow for um about six hours i think all in but, all. yeah i mean so will and i grabbed a, a pint at the pub on thursday and a pint at guinness actually it's very nice and he turned up on his motorbike, and firstly, you can hear him coming from about four miles away, and second, I'm pretty sure some children cried when he started it up to uh, to go home. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. You just just remind me not to um not to ride it near near Alex because it is a bit loud. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you might get nicked. Yeah, true, true. Shh, don't tell him. Don't tell him. Section <laughs> fifty nine warning. <laughs> oh, that's just sad. Anyway, on that boring note, let's hop into the cyber news for this episode. So first up, we cannot not talk about the Kaseya ransomware attack. Businesses and governments around the world are scrambling to understand yet another major ransomware attack, which could potentially cost tens of million dollars and affect more than a thousand other companies. Now here, hackers hit a range of IT management companies and compromised their corporate clients by targeting a key software vendor called Kaseya. The attackers requested a $70 million ransom payment in Bitcoin in exchange for the decryption tool that could help victims recover from the ransomware attack. Now, to get a little bit more technical on this, Kaseya provide a piece of software called Kaseya VSA, which is used for remote monitoring and patching of systems in environments. So as a customer, you will have a managed service. They deploy the software in your environment so they can monitor it and patch your systems. There was a zero-day vulnerability within that system, which hackers were able to exploit and use to... To, uh, facilitate their ransomware attack what do you make of this one this week guys personally for me i think it's maybe blown out of proportion a little bit too much yes it's a problem but not as bad as some of the other ones in the past yeah you were saying that earlier on you were saying that you think it had been hyped up a little bit too much where i guess it in some ways yes it has but actually i think it's because the impact has stretched or, or could have stretched so far in the fact that you know as a supply chain attack it has those sort of ripple and knock-on effects so even if you weren't directly using Kaseya uh, if you if one of your third parties was then you would have been affected at some point within that supply chain so I, I know <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say co-op I know I referred to it as coop earlier on a little bit embarrassing yeah, but not a chicken coop, was... <laughs> for goodness sake that's awful it for was you. The, uh, it was the, the Swedish supermarket chain co-op um, had to close a, a, quite a lot of their stores because their till payments become completely unusable due to the fact that somewhere in that supply chain they'd use Kaseya and it wasn't unavailable. So, yeah, maybe a little bit of that proportion, but it, as it is with supply chain attacks, that ripple effect and the knock-on it can have is usually pretty big. 
Yeah, I think you know, supply chain attack has been the uh, supply chain ransomware attacks. I guess has been a real um, uh, thought this year, with obviously with SolarWinds being one of the biggest supply chain attacks mentioned, and now this one being rather than state sponsored, but you know, organised crime, cyber crime, so to speak, for cash. So yeah, I mean, I do agree with you actually. Yes, I I personally believe it's a burnout proportion. Maybe that's because you know the immediate circles that I associate with and the kind of companies that I work with weren't impacted by it, but it did absolutely have a either a major risk or impact to those people that were affected. I wonder if you'd feel differently if you had worked directly with a vendor that was impacted. Maybe if you felt I don't know, or, or if you were part of an IR team that had been hit, maybe your perception of it would have been that. You know, it definitely would have oh, yeah. crap. Definitely, yeah, yeah, undoubtedly it would have, and I would have felt a stretch. I guess ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess is the right term there. And you know, that I did have that squeaky bum moment though. You know, because we were working with a third-party vendor who, you know, we contacted our managed services and said, okay, do you use Kaseya, knowing it wasn't in our environment, but knowing like, if they're in into our vendor, they could could potentially get into our network some way. And they did use Kaseya. They confirmed they didn't use it for our environment at all, which we kind of knew already. But we were a bit like, oh, hello. Like, we do have a third party that do use Kaseya that could potentially be impacted. And, you know, once they're on the network, they might deploy ransom, but they might then use it to, you know, further lateral move company to company. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a moment, but we were safe. We were safe. How about you? Were you impacted? Um, luckily not directly but like you it was it was a thought of the, the managed service and the vendors that we use it was it was a question of who's who's using it and how could that potentially affect us so lots of sort of um, research and threat hunting and digging in and sort of staying awake and alert to the news as, as it was developing and next up this week stays on the theme of the supply chain hacks. This time it's related to SolarWinds. Yet again, a new SolarWinds zero day is being exploited by Chinese hackers. China-based hackers known to target the US defense and software companies are now targeting organizations using a vulnerability in the SolarWinds ServeU FTP server. SolarWinds released a security update for the zero-day vulnerability in ServeU, servers that allow remote code execution when SSH is enabled. According to SolarWinds, this vulnerability was disclosed by Microsoft, who saw a threat actor actively exploiting it to execute commands on vulnerable customers' devices. Microsoft revealed that attackers are attributed with a high confidence to China-based threat group Tractors Dev 0322. And a quote from uh, Microsoft says the activity group based in China has been observed using a commercial VPN solution and compromised consumer routers in their attack infrastructure. Guys, what do you make of this one? Another thing for SolarWinds. Are they just a bit targeted at the minute? Or do you reckon this has been kind of lying low for a little while and all of a sudden they've decided to, to tweak it and, and attack it? I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, if there's a, uh, a sh- little bit small catalogue of zero days that people just occasionally take off the shelves. Um, and SolarWinds, you know, I think the last, the last one was, you know, it was a huge impact and that really kind of, sold sold it didn't it for, for a lot of people i think so um <clears throat> fortunately i think they're going to be you know just one of those companies that's going to be targeted more and more in the future because you know because of how successful it's been in the past and you know they're, they're, they're going to step their game up and unfortunately you know as we know um you can't always defend everything so it's just true i really like your point around that there's absolutely a set of zero days on the shelves and there's ultimately more hackers than there are security researchers um, or maybe even even guys themselves as white hat black hat security researchers but yeah it's it's a good point to raise to our listeners to you know 
have that reality check. There are ultimately there are known zero days out there that we just don't know about. They're on a shelf. The attackers know that they're 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 probably already actively exploiting them, and we've got a lot of hard work to do in the kind of defence sector to really start, like Alex mentioned, right, threat hunting for these uh, abnormal behaviours of of how the software is supposed to run. Because it is when we see activity like Microsoft has spotted that oh shit, a new a new zero day has found. Yeah, I mean, what you got to bear in mind with that, I suppose, is is what I'm probably talking about for the for you know for the biggest portion there is uh, state sponsors, you know, states, state threat actors, because they'll be collecting zero days, you know, and if if they're going to burn a zero day, then they're, they're going to burn it for a specific reason. They're not going to burn it on some crappy little company anywhere somewhere. Are they? They're going to keep it for a very specific purpose to. You know, and maximize it because they know that as soon as as soon as it's used, um, then it's a ticking clock before you know before people find out. So, um, they'll and I imagine they'll probably keep some on the back burner that they, you know, in, you know break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> you know, here's a zero day. But it's true, though, isn't it? Because you think, you know, if I mean, I'm 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 definitely you know no expert around military um, and cyber warfare, but it makes sense and it'll be. Uh, logical to me that states would, you know, maintain an, a level of zero days and and you know almost big hit big hit attacks that they could pull out and use if if the shit hit the fan. We spoke about you know that kind of house warfare is changing from boots in the ground to packets in the ether way back with your brother Ollie. Um, and it just goes to show that you know everyone knows that uh, every nation's probably got nuclear arms and missiles in, this, in a submarine somewhere under the sea. We just kind of don't know where they are or they're heavily protected and very covert. I think it's exactly the same with these zero-day vulnerabilities. Everyone knows that nations probably have their arsenal of zero days or, or major vulnerabilities that they can exploit or actively exploiting in their offensive campaigns, but just no one knows when they're going to crop up yet. And last up this week sticks on the theme of vulnerabilities and vulnerability management and issues that have been found. This one has been an absolute nightmare, mainly because it's been dubbed print nightmare. <laughs> now print nightmare is a CVE now print nightmare is a vulnerability associated to the print spooler service running on all Microsoft Windows systems. It's caused an absolute headache for everyone this week with patches being rolled out and then people saying the patches don't work, they don't actually fix the problem. So Alex, have you been having to uh, jump into the IR hat and respond to this over the last couple of weeks? I mean, just thinking about Print Nightmare and just like how it's unraveled in, not even in my own organisation, just how I know it's unraveled in a lot of organisations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. sitting here like rubbing my eyes because the, the, the way it first came out, I believe the, it's, the proof of concept code was leaked accidentally I know um, how bad it is came that. <laughs> out and, and, and yeah, and when it first came out, it, it never actually had a, its own CVE because it was sort of bundled in with another um, separate but very similar vulnerability. It was then given a patch, which didn't patch it. It was then given its own CVE. Um, you know, a, a, a nightmare. I can't even put into words. Um, Literally, how much nightmare, of a nightmare yeah. this has been uh, for loads of people, for loads of my um, my friends in the industry and organisations. Um, you know, and not even to mention how Principaler is quite necessary um so you know i i know there's plenty of organizations who have had to say to their to their to their company oh you know you can no longer print from xyz application you can no longer print here you can no longer print there and that's because they've had to just disable principaler and they've had to disable the whole printing in certain areas just to try and contain or mitigate any effects from from print nightmare 
There's a, there's actually yeah. a third a third vulnerability as well for print armor that's been released that's come out of the woodwork in the last about twenty hours. Have you seen that? So you you had the two you had the two um, vulnerabilities that were associated with it originally, and now there's a third one, um, which is a local privilege privilege escalation, as well. So you've got you you basically got a kind of full suite of local privilege, remote execution, uh, you know. So it's turning into a bit of a bit of a fucking nightmare for them, isn't it? It's a bit like it's definitely the no go on no go on. It's definitely the type of vulnerability that you know there'll be a a hack the box or try hack me uh, vulnerable system to exploit in the future because it is that that full suite exploit it using the remote code execution then you can use it for your your privilege escalation to gain root and stuff I I definitely see a, a nightmare box coming to us soon I, wonder I mean there is already like <clears throat> sorry go on no, go on go on, go on. I was going to say there, there is already quite you know some, some principle and vulnerabilities out there and I've seen them on boxes before you know try hack me and stuff like that and um, and you know they. It's clearly it, it, along with other kind of protocols, you know, that, that we kind of have pro- constant issues with, like SMB and stuff like that. Principle yeah. is just one of those sort of archaic things, isn't it? That just it's just a gift that keeps on giving, basically. Pr- printing hasn't really changed in twenty, thirty years. Printers have got better, and but the fact is, like Alex is right, people rely on printing so much. It hasn't really changed the way its protocols work for a long time. Well, Microsoft came out with some good workaround advice. It was, you know, disable the print spooler service, um, disable your ability to remote print against the servers. And there actually is a patch now available for it, wrapped up within the July uh, patch notes. So, you know, there isn't an end is nigh, but as we know with most vulnerabilities, there will always be another one next month that everyone's going to want to jump on. So that wraps up the cyber news for this week. We stayed on that topic of, of, of vulnerabilities. I think it's the first time we haven't actually mentioned a data breach or or something. Although we did mention ransomware, I guess. So, you know, Leopard doesn't really change its spots. <laughs> With that being said, we will hop into our topic of the week. So, topic of the week this week. An interesting one, a little bit more on the offensive security side. We're going to talk about password attacks. Now... Everyone knows, or many people know within the industry, there are multiple ways of gaining access to a system. Password attacks are one of those staple belt and braces uh, technologies or skills that you would want to learn if you're looking at any form of offensive and defensive security, because more often than not, they're successful, and there's a wide range of attacks to do. So what we want to do is lift the lid on the different password-based attacks and discuss how you protect against them. So Alex, do you want to kick us off by talking about a couple of password attacks that you know that you've dealt with in the past, and, and go from there? Yep, I will. I will touch on something that I, I think should start chronologically because it's a really good sort of uh, recon technique, and it's a way that attackers uh, identify which accounts are valid on a service, or an application, or a platform. So that is known as account harvesting. Now, what that is about is that is essentially trying to establish from a list of, say, usernames or email addresses, which services are valid on a platform. So the way you would do that, for example, I'll give a very, very high level example. If you have Facebook and when you log into Facebook successfully, you get one response. When you log in unsuccessfully, you get another response, right? So the attacker would fire a list of 100 email addresses, for example, against the Facebook login page and they will try to log in and they would see what the responses would be. Now, sometimes the response will say, 
um, no account exists. And sometimes the account would say, uh, the response, sorry, would say, um, password incorrect so there's a very very clear sort of response and I'm using Facebook as an example it may not be completely true here but the, the theory still stands is that the response will tell you uh, if an account exists on that platform or not and now, a lot of places do have a defense for this in place but essentially account harvesting is that first recon step to try and identify if your list of email addresses exists on a certain platform I want to kind of take that one step further as well and, and from the password point of view specifically um, when we talk about mass data breaches, right? There are tro treasure troves, databases full of stolen passwords from other breaches which that become a fantastic data set used in all sorts of password attacks, right? So, and we'll touch on it a little bit, but you can create word lists, which are a way of guessing someone's passwords. Um, they can be associated to people's uh, interests, what you know about them. A little bit of social engineering can help you understand what a good password uh, word list might be for a brute force attack. But there's no better word list, right, than a, a database of known stolen passwords. We know password reuse is a problem, and more often than not, you'll find that someone's password has been seen in a breach before. So moving on, I guess, I guess a little bit then, we can talk a little bit about um, active password attacks and then passive password attacks. So an active password attack is something you are actually doing active against the system. You're firing logins against it. You're you're targeting kind of um, the, the, the password parameter within the system you're trying to breach to try and get access to the account. Whereas an offline attack is where you're potentially taking a list of, of stolen passwords, maybe it might be hashes, maybe it might be a database, and you're trying to crack them offline to get them in that kind of clear text format. So, um, you know, we can speak about credential stuffing a little bit because I guess it is a little bit of a, of a password style attack. It's where you take a list of uh, known combination lists or combo lists, as they're called in the in the kind of community of uh, known accounts, like Alex has already mentioned, for validating and the associated, associated password it might have been seen with. And you fire that against the login page of a system and just hope that that account exists with the same passwords. If it does, wait, pop, you've logged in and you've got access to an account. If it hasn't, then, you know, you just keep trying. And for, for many retailers and uh, online e-commerce platforms, credential stuffing has been a major problem for, for many, many, many years. And I think will continue to be a problem. So another type of attack um, that you might hear about is uh, password spraying. So this is where you use a, or an attacker would use a smaller list of passwords. Um, that could be, you know, as little as 10 passwords or as much as, you know, a couple of thousand. But um, so small list of passwords and a big list of accounts. So what you're trying, so the, what they're trying to basically do is, is a way to look at it is what you could do is you could say, what are the top 10 most used passwords you know, crap passwords, things like password one, you know, welcome one, Tuesday one. One, two, three, four, five, six, I think, to date is still the most popular it, password. Exactly. So so an attacker knows that these passwords are still used today, which is ridiculous, but they are. So what they can do is they can just fire these, these um, you know, these really rubbish passwords against a huge list of accounts and see which ones they gain access to, basically. Um, I guess it's a spray and pray. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's really noisy, so you know that's exactly how Alex plays Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they're effective attacks? Password spraying? Of course, yeah. I mean, they're effective in that you know, in that they work, and because people continue to use crap passwords, and um, you know, not all um, accounts have additional features like um, MFA and stuff like that. We'll talk about in a minute, but you know. Are they still successful? Yes. 
Um, are they probably as popular as they used to be? Perhaps not. Um, I would say because. See, I would I would counter you there and raise you one and say that yes, they're effective because of exactly what you said. However, any form of intrusive password attack like that are tend to be the really easy ones to detect and nowadays become actually quite difficult to bypass because they're almost a little bit obvious what do you think yeah i mean they are inherent it's inherently incredibly noisy and any any decent organization will will have some way of limiting you know the, the amount of um you know queries and stuff like that um but you know there are but they will they will it will continue to be a successful attack. I would agree it's not as successful as it used to be, and I think as time goes on and you know better security practices evolve, and um, it will become you know more 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 and more useless. But I think it will always be around because there will always be there will always be some organisations that don't take the security seriously. Yeah, know? very true. But well, there will always be always the consideration of the uh, the customer experience from the organization side so the more co- the more controls you put in place to that username and password the um the bigger impact you're having on that customer journey you know be it implementing some of the controls we'll talk about in a second but the more the, the sort of more of those you try to implement from a customer point of view um it's decreasing on their experience so you know we're not we're not just looking at employees we're looking at external customers that's that's exactly right i mean you know with the online shopping these days convenience is king so, you know, if you look at Amazon, who had the ability to buy in one click, you know, you literally go to the product page, it knows your information, it knows your default address, you press click and you've checked out. I don't know if they still do that, actually, but I definitely remember that being a thing. And and you're absolutely right. If you start adding in steps to someone's ability to buy something, they, a lot of people, it gives them time to think about the money that they're spending and they kind of wimp out a little bit or they get too frustrated that it's taking too long. So it's a real catch-22, I think, in, in that space. Yeah, because some people will literally, you know, they're, Especially if they use an account that they don't, or a website they don't use very often, say like, I don't know, um, WH Smiths or something like that. You know, if they if they really, <laughs> we love you, you buy stuff Smith, online, really. We love you, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good to know that Will's got an account with WH Smiths that he hardly ever uses. <laughs> yeah, bless them. Someone's got to keep them going, don't they? Uh, and um, uh, you know, the reality is, is especially for items that can be bought, you know, in many places, people will, will try and log in, they'll see it's, they can't remember the password, you know, it's, it's, they'll tr- they might try and reset it. If, if things become a pain, they'll just go elsewhere, because like you say, because the alternative is Amazon one click or, you know, whatever, it's just, so it's a real, from from a security point of view, what you're probably you'll see in, in a lot of organisations, especially kind of retail, is the security team jumping up and down saying, you need to make it, your password should be 15 digits long. They need to be every single key, and you need MFA. Don't, don't use your email address as the username. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and the, the security team will suggest just about everything that makes it, that creates you know Life hard. the most well, <laughs> it, you know, arguably it creates the most you know secure password imaginable. Um, but on the other side of the fence, like you said, you know you've got a whole you know different part of that organisation that is trying to get customers in to buy stuff, and they don't care about security. That's not their concern so there's a bit of a but i think that's such, a, such an important point though a big clash a massive clash and i think it's a real uh, a big point i want to hammer home to the listeners which is the best security analysts the best security engineers and, and leaders understand how a business operates they understand that for retail you know checkout ease is 
very very important you have to learn to adapt your um you know your, your pillars of identifying protecting detecting responding to these threats based on what makes the business successful because you go in there screaming security and you put in something that's going to cause financial loss or you know a lack of average spend or whatever it might be you know it, it, it's on you so you know as a security practitioner listening to this don't always think that you need to build fort Knox around every system and try and understand some of the business objectives and find the best balance and the happy medium it's a conversation for another time but security absolutely needs to be an enabler rather than a blocker and we're not we're not just go. about stopping things from happening we need to make sure we are finding safe ways for things to happen so just, just finishing up there on uh, our password attacks and dictionary attacks tend to be the most popular, most well-known. A dictionary attack literally uh, is what it says on the tin. It uses words in the dictionary to try and brute force and, and guess a password. Now, a dictionary attack can be used both online in a, in a brute force scenario where you're literally hammering uh, all these different passwords from your dictionary list or your word list against accounts to try and get in. Or they can be used offline in, in terms of trying to crack passwords and stuff like that, which is a nice little hop on onto then talking a little bit about password cracking because password cracking is an offline attack it's not active against the live system you end up taking normally a database often it's full of hashed passwords it might be hashed with md5 sha1 whatever it might be and then you fire a list of uh, words that are also hashed against that uh, hash database and when two hashes meet or when two hashes match bosh you've got an idea about what the password would be in clear text it's a really really popular method and uh you know if you're really really nerdy you'll understand that password cracking rigs are a, a, a massive uh, technical and uh, massive technical overhead it's a little bit like crypto mining you need a lot of compute power many people have stacks and stacks and stacks of uh gpus don't they graphics cards that they use to have that power to crack passwords but you know you often find these stats password one two three four five six and the average time it would take a password cracker to crack it is seconds milliseconds let's say for a really powerful password cracker whereas the complex passwords the think random the three words of the special characters can take up to you know hundreds of years for a password cracker to potentially try and crack it will where have you used password cracking in your kind of offensive security roadmap um mostly when i've forgotten my own passwords <laughs> brilliant <laughs> yeah you don't need a password manager you just crack it yeah don't need that um good old 15 second passwords um <laughs> uh, i mean i i've i would say limited uses in, in reality because you know they um like you're one of the good guys well yes and also like you say they do require some heavy Yes, you can crack passwords on you know on a really basic laptop, but you know like we said it's going to take more time. So, um, so I normally kind of and so I've done things in organisations where we um, we take a sample of you know some some passwords from somewhere and we'll we'll try and crack them in a very kind of low power way to see which ones are like really really bad passwords. Um, now. I don't know what you guys will think about for, for someone doing that in your organisation. Um, I've been supported doing it before um, to in order to get a kind of, you know, sometimes drive home around um, how important it is to, you know, to have decent passwords and perhaps areas of the organisation that are using, you know, poor passwords and stuff. You mean like an Active Directory uh, sort of um, audit? Yeah, we'll, we'll, call oh, yeah. It, we'll call it an audit, yeah. 
password yeah. order 100% is the legit way of saying what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, some 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 organisations are very very, you know, worried about that, and I, I do appreciate that because you are, you know, cracking people's passwords who are, you know, potentially using them for personal things and stuff like that. But you know, I think for for the purpose of the red of, of a red team and an audit, I think I think it is a useful tool, um, especially. When I highly recommend it. You should do it every six months, every year is the minimum. I would ha- happily stand by that. It, it's I'll controversial, what it does though. Do. You, ha- you have to get your buy-in. Yeah. You have to get the business buy-in for that, though. You can't just go ahead and do it. <laughs> it's really good at driving <laughs> home. Ahead. It's really good at driving home how bad some passwords are. You know, because it's not like a thing of... Um, it's, it's not like a hypothetical thing where you pick some data off the internet and say, you know, say you're speaking to, to, to your execs and you're saying, oh, look, the internet says, you know, these are really rubbish passwords. It's a bit. It's, it's no context. But where, if you get an audit and, and you say... These are some of the passwords currently being used in our environment. Look how bad they are. Their ears will prick up. Because What I can re- recommend in this space to make it a bit more legitimate is A, try and avoid doing it yourself. If you're the security team, don't do it in your own company. Work with a third-party vendor to do it. Have that, you know, the, those clear separations of duties. They can know the passwords. You're paying them the trust. You've got contracts in place with them. But what you should look to really get out of it is don't worry about what those clear text passwords are. Look for trends. So where we've done it in the past, it's that you know 60% of the Active Directory database was month and a number. right? So when any attacker is creating a word list, if they're putting in days of the month, days of the month, if they're putting in months of the year and a couple of numbers associated to it, their crack rate is going to be really high. And like Will said, mapping back those uh, cracked passwords back to the top 10 list you're not saying who's it associated to you're just saying that you know 20% of these passwords map back to the top three known uh, worst passwords on the internet so to speak so that's one really good way of doing it legitimately like Alex said getting that business buy-in by giving them good reflective stats to help you understand it but you know it's really easy to do I'd argue uh, uh, sorry, I was gonna say I'd argue as well to pick high-risk teams or pro- for the exec prioritize you want, if you want budget go for the exec that's what i'd say then <laughs> when, when you look at them you say look i have your password or i know what your password would be you know is it anything that form is this part of this format and they go a little bit white and they're like oh shit yeah, yeah you got me because <laughs> i i know some some people say oh well you know we we implement um you know complexities and hi- history and all that sort of thing but what what you realize after you spend some time in, in an organization is most people are very good at finding their finding their way around um, you know passwords um, requirements and creating patterns because humans are really we are good at spotting and remembering patterns and what you'll find is you'll, you'll change your you'll change some of the requirements and within like a few months people have found a way around to to create a pattern again and all of a sudden you've got and you know you won't know unless you actually find out these things yourself so that's a uh, a fantastic segue mr reed onto our defenses for password attacks so um, let's start with a couple simple defences. I think the first one is um, simple things like account lockout, password history. So account lockout is if someone tries to log into your account and fails in X amount of times in X amount of uh, minutes, you lock the you lock the account out. They then have to wait 15 minutes, half an hour before they can retry and authenticate, or it's completely locked out until they call the service desk. Or whatever to uh sorry will is just wafting himself with money to try and cool down <laughs> a couple of 10 pound notes it's a, uh, baller. it's a leaflet it's the only flat thing i could find that didn't make those noise oh, i thought it was, I thought it was a, money I thought it was a tenner 
yeah. for offensive security uh, money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, implement account lockout. Um, having good password history, which means is you can't use the same password that was once used before. You often tend to find the way people get around that is to try the same but go up a number. It beats the password history, and then by the time the password history is aged out, like the last five passwords, they're back at using square one. That's a really, really bad part of like password recycling. Alex, what other defenses would you say would, would be there for against password attacks? Well, one of the basic ones is going to be your password policy. So how long does your password have to be? What complexity does it have to be? Does it have to have special symbols, special characters, numbers, all that sort of stuff? You know, make don't let your password be one, two, three make it so your password needs to be a specific length with a certain amount of special characters in it obviously this needs to sort of balance uh, with sort of customer experience obviously but your password still needs to be appropriate so that your people can't just be using one two three as a password one of the uh, best defenses if you work in the azure world for that is in the azure active directory you've got the the band password list so you can input a list of up to i think it's 2000 known passwords and it doesn't allow a user to set it as that uh, and there's a couple of different parameters you can do so that how i've how i've done it is i normally take the the, the rocku.txt word list i take the first kind of 1500 within that list and input that as the band password list and the remaining kind of 500 i've got left in scope i use for words and terms that are associated to business-like passwords so if you work for mcdonald's mcdonald's one two three so to speak and that one's, and then you have a list of, of bad passwords and there's two real benefits from there firstly number one it stops known breach passwords being used which is a little bit of a no-brainer but the second thing also is um, when a user goes to reset their password the error message that pops up says you cannot have this password because it's part of the banned password list so it's not like normally when you're like doesn't meet complexity doesn't meet age and you get into that vicious furious cycle <laughs> because you keep trying different passwords and you keep getting it wrong it actually tells you that you can't use this password you're being a bit stupid. Try and use something that's not been seen in the in in the outside world before. I Go was going to mention about the uh, the functionality on app or on Apple on the, with the Apple passwords. It will tell you in your password vault if you've used a password that a uh, has been used in a breach has been seen in a breach and b if you've reused any passwords in your password vault so that that sort of thing linking together checking your password. And I know Troy Hunt runs a service where you can integrate. Um, with the have I been pwned yeah the pwned passwords is you you try and use a password it does a quick check and it tells you this password's been in a data breach therefore you can't use it and that's all done by APIs which is great and we'll remember that term API for Seekers from the SOC and I guess the last major major thing you have to help protect against password attacks is is multi-factor authentication when someone logs in using a password if it's you or if it's a breached account you're going to be forced to verify yourself a second time we've done a podcast episode on this and they are one of the best methods in stopping password attacks from being successful post compromise now that wraps up topic of the week for this week. A really interesting uh, topic, I think. Password attacks are definitely still rampant and a really good offensive skill for you to learn if you haven't already. That being said, let's hop into our exclusive segment, Secrets from the Sock. So Alex touched upon it there. Um, he spoke about have I been pwned, having a pwned passwords uh, database that you can hook into, which is done by an API. 
Um, but I certainly know when I first started working in the IT industry and definitely in my first few roles in security, I hadn't got a clue what an API was, just knew that it was banded around and used everywhere under the sun. So we're going to talk a little bit about what an API is and how you can use them in your day-to-day SOC life. So come on, Alex, Will, hit me. What's an API? How would you use it in a SOC? API is a way that essentially at a very high level, um, programs and computers speak to each other. The way you'd use that in a SOC is when you're working across loads of different sort of platforms and monitoring platforms and your tools that you're using for response, how can you pivot from one platform to another with that information? So for example, if you're looking at a malicious email that's come in and you may have picked out some IOCs, how do you then go and look up those IOCs with in, in some external sources. So how do you go and run them in VirusTotal? How do you run them in hybrid analysis? Well, yes, you could pull out some information and you could manually go to the website and stick the information in. However, by using an API, the press of a button, it sends that information over straight away and you get some results. Some of the, so the best things that I see APIs used for, especially in a SOC, firstly, automation. So SOAR, security automation and orchestration, we've, we have mentioned before, or definitely will mention in the future again. Um, to allow you to do things quickly and efficiently without that human interaction that Alex has mentioned, but also for doing things in bulk. One of the best uses I ever had is found a good API for IP address reputation or domain reputation. Get your list, normally a CSV list full of your IOCs and you just do a for loop within your program, firing those IP addresses against the API and collecting the responses back in that um, CSV. Really good use case of an API. Yeah, Shadow has one, yeah. Shodan's great. So what's Shodan for those people that haven't heard it and why is that API useful? Uh, Shodan is a uh, open source tool that looks at, I guess, um, you know, it, it kind of gives a picture of devices that are connected to the internet um, and kind of publicly accessible. And they can be, you know, everything from kind of websites to IoT devices, and um, you know, literally things like cameras, weather stations and all sorts of stuff really. So um you can go on. You can basically go on the showdown.io and you can kind of um, just have a look around and see what what devices are you know are kind of publicly available really. So it's pretty scary, but it's a good way of checking your kind of um, exposures of your organisation. If there's endpoints exposed that you didn't expect to be exposed, and you can sort of interrogate that. And into that, they they, they do have a, an API which I think if you sign up for a free account is a pretty um, a pretty generous API as well in that it doesn't charge you for um I think what I like most about using API in a SOC is the way it's so it can be so seamless to pull things together you know having worked in SOCs at various levels of maturity on on the very immature end of of automation and like efficiency you're sort of saying okay what website do I go to to get this information what website do I go to to look this up but then when you're starting to use the APIs you're like okay cool that API that API and suddenly you've got this sort of interface in front of you and you're looking at all these different all these different pieces of information from all these APIs you're looking at your virus total API looking at your showdown API and you can see all this information without having to go to different types of websites Um, really useful I'm a really big fan of that for automation I think it really um, hammers home the saying work smarter not harder you know and, and as as a SOC analyst if you are one if you work in a SOC or want to there's an element of engineering you're going to have to learn because in even if you're doing IR and you're not coming in as a, a security engineer knowing how to code an API they're not hard honestly they're not hard you're going to go on leaps and bounds far quicker than any of your colleagues that are doing things manually 
because you'll start to impress you'll 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 very soon start to impress people when you can see when they can see how fast you can do things compared to their manual methods and you can share that knowledge as well absolutely it's only yeah, and make your life a lot easier as well <laughs> trust me so true yeah make working in a sock enjoyable again <laughs> <laughs> well let's not let's not oversell the apis <laughs> <laughs> it's not a miracle okay. <laughs> fair, fair enough here yeah, print nightmare was a nightmare for a reason anyway uh there you go secrets on the sock this week a few apis for you to go and play with definitely go give it a go that's our task to you code something make it simple uh, and start automating your life using apis within a sock so guys that wraps up the uh the podcast for this week i'm going to go and enjoy being outside alex is going to enjoy being stuck inside six days and counting <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening and we will catch you all in the next episode.